is it, guys and gals, the final episode of season two, and my God, has it been a great adventure. I've seen some amazing movies and some not-so-amazing movies, but I'll let the top ten sort that out. Make sure you watch for that in our YouTube channel. Uh, speaking of our YouTube channel, if you're looking to do more and to continue support after this, the episode ends, you can like, subscribe, share, tell a friend, buy some merch, follow us on social media. That's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Letterboxd. Also, don't forget to support those who support us. This episode is brought to you by Ridley's Gaming Realm. They have been a huge supporter of ours, and we can't be happier to have them as a partner. Check out Ridley's Gaming Realm on Facebook, where they set themselves apart by having an amazingly low scamming rate for buying and selling any of your retro gaming needs. Check them out, and make sure to tell them DFAT sent you. My guest today is Giuseppe Battisti, and he's picked 2002's romantic comedy, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. So without further ado, one more time for season two, on with the show. So, Joey, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, I've been trying to get you on the show for a long time, and I'm had I'm glad that we finally got our schedules to align and we could do it. I'm also very excited. I'm uh, curious to see what this is all about. I've been hearing about this podcast for a while. <laughs> so you uh, you picked 2002's independent romantic comedy film, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, starring, and I'm going to butcher all of these names, yeah. Nia? Val Vardalos, she's from uh, I Hate Valentine's Day and My Life in Ruins, and then John Corbett, who's most notably from Sex and the City, but also was in Serendipity and a couple other romantic comedies. So uh, I'm going to start the podcast like I do with with most of the podcasts. Uh, what what made you pick this show of all the shows, or all, excuse me, of all the movies to pick? Why why this movie? Um, to be honest, I mean it's my favorite movie. It's like it's not a good movie. Let's get that <laughs> put that out there. I'm I'm really curious to see what you think of it. Um, but to be honest, like it's it's not a great movie, but it's it's a great depiction of, or it's very relatable for me. Um, it's like if I were to watch my life in a movie, like interacting with my family, it would be that. So for so, me, like, I, I, you know what? Uh, I was gonna say, so we we've known each other for quite a number of years now, and I I I kind of thought that's why you picked this movie, um, because it does seem like all the stories that you told me about, you know, just cooking with your family and big family get-togethers and how kind of you know the the family is always around. It's always it's always part of the things you do in life. And uh, so watching this movie, I kind of I kind of thought that that might have been why that you, you see this as kind of your family. Yeah, and I mean it's literally. I, I've talked to tons of people, like anyone who's Greek or Italian or whatever, like it's very similar and everybody pisses their pants. Like, and I don't, I don't know if it's the same humor for you because like, like I've been in those situations where like someone just says ridiculous things that like, you know, an outsider would be like, what? <laughs> yeah. Okay, you don't eat meat. You know, I, you know <laughs> I'll make lamb. No problem. Like, like who said, like, like I, my grandmother said shit like that before. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I am. I am not personally Italian. My my family is is pretty dense in German, a little bit of Canadian and stuff like that. But I think regardless of your nationality, I think anybody can watch a movie like this and and relate to being embarrassed by your family. I mean, even though they mean well and they love you, sometimes they're overbearing. Sometimes they're obnoxious. Sometimes they're just insane. And when you have an outsider come in, you got to kind of like brace them for what they're about to experience. Yes. So, I mean, that's a lot of the reasons why I picked it. It's very relatable, stuff like that. Um, I also think it's easy watching. Um, like, I don't, sometimes, like, I don't want to sit down and watch a movie that's like, okay, now let me rethink my whole life and let me, like, ponder <laughs> on my existence. And, or I want to be scared shitless. Like, sometimes you just want to watch a movie and just, like, it be, you know, easy to watch and just relax and just laugh a little bit. You know what I mean? Sometimes I, I enjoy those movies more than I do something that's groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah, we've we've joked in the podcast before about how Netflix should have a category of movies that you can watch while playing on your cell phone. You know, things that you don't need to necessarily be completely paying attention to, but you can kind of still get the plot of the movie and not miss anything. Yeah, and it's it's just relax. It's a relaxing time to watch a movie. You know, it's not 
too engaging. Like sometimes I just don't care enough to be engaged. Like I'm engaged in stuff all day long and I just don't want, I don't need something that, like I need to think about while I'm watching. I'm like, oh my God. Oh, wait, oh, so he means this. Oh, wait, no, no, maybe he means this. And maybe the world isn't like that. I just don't, <laughs> sometimes it's a bit much. There's a there's a great movie called Primer. Uh, I want to say it's on Amazon Prime, but it could be wrong. It, it, I, I use the word movie loosely. It's like an hour and 10 minutes, but it's a time travel movie that you have to watch like decoding videos afterwards on YouTube to understand it. Um, with that being said, it's a phenomenal movie, but right. yeah, you, there are those movies out there that you kind of need to see through a lens in order to truly interpret what the hell's going on. Like Inception. I have to, oh, I had to watch Inception, and by the sixth time, I finally understood what happened in that. <laughs> it's like, okay, great. That was, that was enjoyable. <laughs> I'm glad I had to do that. Spent yeah, three years of my life watching a movie. That's the other great thing is this movie is a is a very tight ninety five minutes hour and thirty five, um, which is a pretty standard movie length between an hour and a half two hours. What is I mean? Are you into like the three hour movies or I mean, what's your preference? Um, I'm into some of them. Like I love like Lord of the Rings and things like that, The Hobbit and stuff. It's it has I guess those are more like series. You know what I mean? Like it's not just like one three hour movie. Um, but generally, like, and I get I guess caught up in them over like the course of the movies so like otherwise like someone's like hey go watch this movie i'm like oh cool how long is it? like oh it's three hours and 15 minutes and that's just almost a hard pass immediately <laughs> like, i'm just like like even the like i'm not the biggest into we talked this about, about this before but like the marvel movies and stuff like that so like end game or end what is the last one called and end game uh, yep end game yeah yeah so, you know, everyone's like, oh, it was, oh, my God, it was, like, amazing. It's, like, the best thing in the world. But it's, like, two hours and 45 minutes. And I'm just, like, I don't care about it enough to watch <laughs> it. Like, I mean, it's cool, but I just don't need to see how they save the world again in three hours. Right. I don't, like, personally. Like, and I like superhero movies. I just don't, like, love them enough to sit down for three hours. Well, Lord of the Rings, I love enough to sit down and watch it for three hours. <laughs> If you get a chance to break the rule, definitely check out Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League. Four hours, but definitely worth it. Four uh, hours. Four hours. He he breaks it up. He's got these little like intermission title slides um, a couple times throughout the movie, but it, totally worth it. It's so much better than the, than the first one we got. But that aside, this movie uh, definitely falls into a very distinct category for me for when it comes to movies I've covered on the show. And that is uh, a movie that the more research I did on this, the more interesting it really became. So uh, Naya, I'm, I'm not even going to try to pronounce her last name again. Naya, who's the main actress in this movie, <laughs> she plays her, uh, Tula. Um she wrote this movie. She's actually a, a veteran of Second City, which is the famous improv school. She decides yeah. to write this one-woman show, uh, which is what this movie's based on. She is talking to all these different studios about getting it turned into a movie, um, and the studios are kind of bouncing these ideas off of her. Of you know, we want to make it a movie, but we're going to change the ethnicity of the family to Hispanic, um, or, or we're going to make it a movie, but we want Sandra Bullock or Marissa Tomei to play the lead actress. And it took Tom Hanks's wife, Rita Wilson. She goes yeah. and sees the stage performance. She talks to Tom Hanks, urges him to buy the rights to the movie. Uh, he does through his Playtone production company, which is we've already covered on the show through uh, that 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 thing you do, that thing we do. I forgot the name of the movie, but I think it's that thing you do. Um, regardless, they turn it into a movie with they, they get her on board by telling her, we want you to be the star. This is your story. You have to star in this movie. And she's instantly sold and they turn it into a movie. Uh, amazing. This is this is Tom Hanks movie type written all over it. It's very. I don't I don't mean this in a derogatory term, but it's very anticlimactic. There's no giant, you know bad guy here there's no big thing to overcome i mean you got the the family disputes with him not being greek but for the most part it's kind of like a playful movie yes entirely <laughs> and that goes back to like that just like easy watch you know what i mean it's not like there's a big thing at the end you're like oh my god i get it now you know what i mean it's just like you know i don't know and, and the, the the story behind it is really cool too i didn't know about that with like tom hanks and his wife and um, that was always something that I thought was, that was awesome that she saw it and was like, no, it has to stay this way. And cause it, it completely changes it. And like a lot of times, like, you know, big, I don't know, big production companies will just like change it to fit. Like, I guess 
more people. You know what I mean? To make it more relatable to the masses or whatever. There's not like a huge Greek population. You know what I mean? Like compared right, to Hispanic exactly. or whatever. So it's a little less relatable that way, but it's it's cool because nothing else is really like that. And that's why we like me and like my family gravitated towards it because it's like wow. You know what I mean? Like like I said, this is a depiction of our lives. Someone recorded us, I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the most interesting story I heard during my research on this is Ian Miller, who plays, uh, excuse me, uh, John Colbett, who plays Ian Miller in the movie, obviously uh, most well-known for Sex and the City. He is, re- he's doing Serendipity. He's up in Canada. He's he's doing this movie, Serendipity. It's getting ready to wrap. Have you seen, have you seen Serendipity? I have not. John, John Cusack and um, the, the actress from the Underworld franchise. Is it Kate? Not Kate Beckinsale. Is it Kate Beckinsale? It could be. I think so. Okay, we'll go with that. Um, so they, uh, John Cusack, they, these two random people meet. They fall in love instantly, but she believes that it's got to be some sort of fate. So she writes her number in like a, a book and, and sells it to like a local bookstore. And three years later, he comes across the book and calls her. And it's just it's a super cheesy romantic movie. Um, but anyway, he's in that movie. They're in Canada. They're recording. And because he's recording, he misses the opportunity to try out audition. He he, <laughs> he misses the opportunity to do an audition for this movie. So he's at a bar in Canada talking to a buddy of his about how, man, he missed out on this great, great opportunity. He loved this script. Meanwhile, Naya and Gary Gozman, who's the producer at Play, uh, Playtone, are doing pre-production on the film in Canada, in that bar, overhear the conversation, and hire him on the spot for the role. Isn't that wild? I have never heard that. Which is insane because he's up there, you know, filming Serendipity, a movie about fate and, you know, stars aligning, and it's just, it's wild to me. So the the movie goes on to become the highest grossing comedic comedy of all time, Despite never reaching number one at the box office, yeah, bu- that bu- I knew. Budget for the movie's five million. It grosses three hundred and sixty-eight million, which of course is going to get a get greenlit for a sequel, and we'll, we'll talk about all that later. But one of the things that is most interesting to me about this movie, especially when we're looking back on it, is the movie comes out on, on August second, two thousand two, and it really is kind of old. I don't want to say old Hollywood because that's got like a very unique term nowadays, but you don't see these movies getting made anymore. These independent kind of low budget, you know, just for the sake of making them, let's see what happens type movies. Nowadays, movies have to gross a billion dollars and, you know, set up a franchise. Otherwise, you're not even going to get a meeting with the execs. What is your take on on the big blockbuster versus the little indie film? And which one do you prefer? Um, well, I mean, touching back, I know this is kills you, but like touching back like the superhero movies, <laughs> like those like are so overproduced and what and i think people like love them but like they're just it, you can just feel it it's there for the money like it it's what it feels like to me at least like it's just like those are money makers they're gonna keep making them they're never gonna stop because people will always watch them um and they're just a money grab i feel um so sometimes those are cool sometimes you want to watch like a big shoot 'em up esque you know big action film and stuff like that which is cool but I generally would gear more towards indie films and things like that. Even this one, like, I feel like even indie films now, like, aren't geared like this. They're not in that genre. They're, like I said, just a movie that's anticlimactic. <laughs> that's just, like, a movie. Just like, right. It's just, like, a story. It's not, like, this groundbreaking thing. And there's not, like, a, you know, a big to-do. And so I, I feel like movies like that don't exist anymore, like you said. Like, it's just kind of a, I don't know. I kind of enjoy that are a little more simple sometimes but i definitely yeah. agree that I, I think the big studios are definitely playing it more and more safe you know they, they want the return on their investment and i don't blame them for that but there was something nice about watching these low budget movies and you know you every once in a while I come across a gem that's just you know, this is a really great movie and not really well known or I, I didn't hear about it prior to watching it so i had no idea what it was about going in nowadays trailers you know kind of ruin i mean i have tons of friends who will refuse to watch a trailer or read anything about a movie before it comes out because they want that initial exposure, you know, to be genuine. Um, yeah. Me, I can't do that. I gotta, I gotta watch and consume everything before I watch something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do too. And I can see the appeal though, of like just wanting to go in kind of blind 
because I mean, they really try to sell you. Like they're just like, okay, what like, the best part about this? Like, even like a tiny bit, but not enough to know everything. You know what I mean? Like it's just they're just teasing you with it, which is I guess is the point of it. But they do reveal a lot more. Like I I went back, I don't know for what reason, but we were trying to watch a movie from like the nineties a couple weeks ago, and like I was talking to my brother about it. Oh, it was Castaway, right? Oh, great movie. So, yeah, great great movie, right? So um and so my brother's never seen it or something crazy like that. So basically, we're like, you know, I was like, oh, dude, let's just, you know, he, he thought it was a comedy. He thought Castaway was a comedy. <laughs> so um, like, we went back and like, we watched, um, like, the trailer. And, like, that trailer happened to be, like, it gave away a lot. Like, yeah. a lot. Of, um, but, like, we were looking at, like, some other 90s movies. And those gave away nothing. Like, you're just, like, barely, like, you know what I mean? Like, you didn't even know what, the, what was the point of the movie. You know what I mean? Almost when you were done. So, I, I mean, I guess that leads to curiosity as well. Because... I, I have to touch on something though. Your your was your brother aware that Castaway existed? Yes. But yet somehow he thought it was a comedy? Like does he remember he remembers seeing like the trailer at some point or, or at least being aware the movie existed, but thought it was a comedy. Dude, there's no way I could even rationalize how he thought this was a comedy. <laughs> he's like he's like especially like the first opening scene is like in very traumatic. <laughs> and he's just like he's like and he's like kind of laughing like about it and his girlfriend's like why are you laughing and he's like man it's like this really isn't like this i gotta be funnier and she's like it's not a funny movie and he's like what do you mean he's just like this is not a funny what did you think this was <laughs> so yeah i don't i don't know there's no putting two and two together there it's just like i don't know he must have thought of a different movie who i couldn't tell you so, uh, like we had mentioned, uh, Naya is the one that that writes the the movie. She also writes the the sequel. She also wrote I Hate Valentine's Day and a few other movies that she eventually goes on to star in and and produce, I believe, as well. Uh, the director for this, Joel Zwick, um, did lots of TV stuff, but but no real big movies prior or even since, um, which I thought was kind of interesting because such a such a huge movie, I would assume, would spur a career, but it doesn't seem to have done that in this scenario. I think um, this is kind of brain and happen chance where like this did well. I don't know if you could recreate this again and have it do well. You know what I mean? Like that style. So I don't know, like if that his style of directing maybe just didn't appeal to big production companies or something or Yeah, I, I agree. I think this was just kind of lightning in a bottle. I mean, um like we had talked about, we, we you look at a movie like uh I, f- I forgot the paranormal activity is another great example. Another movie that had a very low budget went on to do huge at the box office this movie doesn't really have that same draw with the horror genre it's gonna have a huge following and obviously you know more people like like the italians and greeks and and people that come from large families people that can relate to these characters and like i said i think everybody can relate to a character that is you know probably slightly embarrassed by their family and and you know how is my family or how is my loved one going to react to meeting each other um so I mean, let's let's dive right in. So the movie starts off, and we have Tula. She's thirty something. She works at a diner, which is run by her family. Um, I'm sure a scenario that you cannot relate to at all. She no. is constantly <laughs> she's constantly hounded by her family for being single and and not being um, a, attractive. I guess not. You know, drawing suitable mates which is insane does your family give you give you shit a lot for for girlfriends or um i that's more older generation stuff like like my grandmother will be like you know when i was younger she's like you got a girlfriend you got it you, you, you know what i mean like and then like as soon as it's like oh she's a nice one to spend your life with and, like she'll say some like crazy <laughs> like whoa i've been for like two weeks and i'm 14 okay <laughs> so you know what I mean? Like they're like it's more so in other of our like old elder relatives, they'll be like, Are you seeing anybody? Are you seeing anybody? But they're not like, You need to go get married. It's also different for like the funny part is coming from like a family like that, it's always about like the women. Like the, it's you can see it in the movie too, like the brother gets treated like gold and then she gets like the short end of the stick. And that's unfortunately how it is sometimes. Like the men get <laughs> preferential treatment and the women are like you gotta hurry up and like do something with your life and by that i mean get married and have babies like quickly because that's your job you know what i mean like it's just this old school stigma 
I don't want to get super political, but I, that is something that I think that we're going to see a huge shift in, you know, in the next 20 years is, you know, I, I'm with you. I grew up with a generation where, you know, the grandparents or even the older aunts and uncles were kind of like, you know, once you hit mid twenties, what's going on? When are you going to settle down? When are you going to find yourself a nice, you know, significant other? Um, and you're right. It was more directed towards the females. Although the, the guys got it a little bit too, but I think with, you know, with the, the, huge transition in in the women's front and and you know really establishing themselves as equal um we're getting less and less in that from the generations now and it's becoming more and more uh, i don't i, I don't want to use the word acceptable but it's becoming more and more understandable that you know who really cares how you end up and, and as long as you're happy yeah i think it's normalized so you yeah. that you don't have to be married by a certain age and have kids by a certain age and like that people are getting married later in life and having kids later in life and you know life expectancies are also longer now so <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. you know no one's in a rush to do those things but i don't know I, I think it's it's good like sometimes like they get forced like if you hear like all these like my grandmothers my, my grandparents like my grandmother was like 17 and she married my grandfather who was 30 the holy time when cow they had, could you imagine that happening right now it would be like lawsuits everywhere (laughs) and like i I, i'm big on on (laughs) i'm big on age is just a number but i think there are certain scenarios where it's a significant number (laughs) and that should be considered yeah like that back in the day i guess that wasn't you know what i mean like what it's just crazy like like hearing that when i first heard that i'm like what i'm like who let that happen but like then my grandfather, you know, uh, went to my great grandmother's house and was like, "Hey, I want to take your daughter out." She's like, "Oh, great, take her." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because they wanted them to get married, they wanted yeah. them to like have a family. Like that was like normal. You know what I mean? And he was also a great guy. You know what I mean? Like, but it w- wasn't like he was like some creep. It was like, "I'm gonna come." You know what I mean? Yeah, right. right. <laughs> I heard. I heard an article. Uh, I heard an article. I heard a, a news thing. Um, I forgot where. Maybe on CNN or something. And they were talking about how India still has like a 95% arranged marriage and like a 98% like, or I guess rather a 2% divorce rate. So it, believe- it's insane that that's, you know, they're arranged, but yet they last. And, and maybe that's a product of, you know, kind of force and, and, and divorce not being traditional there, but that's speculation. Anyway, um, <laughs> so she bumps into Ian in the diner and Ian's at breakfast or lunch with a friend of his the friend in the diner is actually uh naya's real life husband they, they were married during the filming of this they actually divorced in 2018 sadly but i thought that was kind of cool that you know she sneaks him in there and she's smitting right away she's she's truly attracted to him and she's kind of flustered she doesn't know what to say he seems to notice her and then like a light switch she suddenly wants to go to school, wants to go to college, starts wearing makeup, kind of putting herself up. And um, through force, I think, she convinces her father to let her go work for her aunt at at her travel agency. Um, Again, something, you know, family owning multiple businesses, something I'm sure you know nothing about. I've never heard of her in my life. <laughs> this is going to be, at, at the end, when we, I usually let the guests plug whatever they want to plug. This is going to be the longest plug in the history. I can't wait to hear it. It's going to be great. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of pieces. I actually have a list here. I have to. Um, so one of the things I couldn't understand was, is she doing this in hopes of running into him again? I think it kind of gives her like, uh, motivation, if you will. Like, she's somebody who, like, she's interested in, and then she, like, there's another scene where she's, like, looking in the mirror, and she's, like, kind of realizing that, like, she could put more effort into how she looks, or things like that, and, like, you know, it kind of sparks this, I don't know, creative side of her to, to do something different, and to be more presentable, and do something with her life, you know, like, that the restaurant wasn't an end-all. Like, I don't I don't know why, or, you know, this little incident made that happen, but she she felt the need to like make a change you know because it seemed like she wasn't comfortable with herself when she met him you know what i mean she's like was nervous she was kind of embarrassed she's like you know god forbid like this happens again i need to be different yeah i mean that was kind of the one the one part of the story that i found a little uh hard to follow was what you know after 30 years of working in this diner and constantly getting uh, bombarded by her family 
she bumps into this one random guy and seems to to almost change overnight as a product of that. And I, and I, I this can't be the first attractive guy she's bumped into. And and I'm I'm obviously reading way too much into this part of the story, but that was the one part that I was like, uh, I could have used a little more substance there, where you're leading me from what's motivating her to make these huge changes. I could see that. I mean, there had to be some catalyst for like change. Otherwise, the whole movie has been her miserable and freaking <laughs> around. True, very true. So uh, the plan works, whether it's a plan or not. She ends up bumping into him again, and they and they really hit it off. At, th- at this point, he doesn't recognize her at first. Uh, eventually, he he puts the you know puts her in place and, and realizes that she's the same one from the diner, and they start dating. She lies to her family tells her entire family that she's doing a pottery class and continues to go see him and date him. So I've got to ask you, hopefully, I don't know if you're telling any of your family that you're on the show and you're playing on them listening, but just, uh, just out of curiosity, have you ever lied to your family to date somebody? Do you remember Conan on Nintendo? Oh, how about Earthworm Jim on 64? That was my jam. Do you wish you still had it? Or maybe you have it and you're looking to clean out your collection and make some extra cash. Luckily, either way, we have the answer for you. Ridley's Gaming Realm. It's a one-stop shop for great gaming discussion, as well as a place for retro buying, selling, and trading without all the fees and drama of the other selling sites. They pride themselves on having over a year of zero reported scams, and you can find them on Facebook. Just search Ridley's Gaming Realm. That's R-I-D-L-E-Y-S. Or click on the link in the show description. And make sure you tell them DFAT sent you. Hey, come take a seat at the campfire. You're not the only one who joins. I've got friends that come over sometimes, too. We talk about a ton of interesting things from geek culture. Then we cover some conspiracies or philosophical thoughts or monsters. You know, we talked about Bigfoot in one episode. It's a lot of fun, so come join me at the Campfire Chats, a DFAT entertainment podcast hosted on Spotify and other fine places you find podcasts. Um, yeah, like, so from italians like it's not or at least like i don't know the greek culture is much more traditional than like italian culture like especially like in the past like you know most italians came over in like the 20s like my family came over in the 70s so we're a little more slightly more traditional but not really so like that kind of stuff like oh you have to marry italian you have to marry greek is is different now so like it that stayed true with greeks like they try they try they tend to stick together a lot more Mm-hmm. And I don't want as many, like, it's better to marry a Greek. It's frowned right. upon, but it's not, like, as extreme, like, oh, my God, this is, you know, some families are. But, like, my family, they're, like, you know, it, it, they're, like, oh, is she Italian? Like, oh, okay, good. Like, she's a good Italian girl. <laughs> Bring her around someone else. They're, like, that's fine, too. You know what I mean? But there is, it's not as extreme as it's depicted in the movie in my family, but it is slightly like that but i haven't had to lie to be like oh i'm gonna go see this girl you know what i mean i just but i think it's partially myself doesn't care (laughs) (laughs) but you never sneaking around never you know try i mean what about when you were a teenager ever snuck a girl in or out of the house yeah i mean that's for sure so (laughs) i used to ride my bicycle like 20 miles to go like meet up with a girl because like i would it's usually because I was in trouble. I'd be like grounded and like in this, you know, after school, I'd be like, oh, I'm just going to ride my bike around. And like I would leave and then come back when it was dark out. And I was like, where were you? You're supposed to be grounded. I was like, I was just around the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I mean, that's what I'm like, I'd sneak around. But um, then once I got a car, you know, you just drive everywhere. Yeah. Well, I was the same way. Once I got a car, I was never home. Yeah. Did you ever have to sneak any, uh, I don't think so. I don't, I never snuck any girls in. I did. I, there was quite a few girls that snuck out and I would go pick them up or like I had, I got my car, my license when I was 16. So I was like one of my first friends that was able to drive. So I constantly was, was, I don't want to say chauffeur, but I was constantly the one going around scooping everybody up after they snuck out and we'd party at night or whatever. But that's so unlike me now. Yeah. (laughs) I would never do that. <laughs> so she's dating this boy, lying to her family, um, and eventually she has to introduce him to her dad. And I love the scene where he's asking her dad for permission to date the daughter. Now, mind you, at this point, they've already been dating, and it seems like they've been dating for a good amount of time. 
And the father says no. And he's like, well, I'm going to anyway. Like, yeah. <laughs> he, the, the father's main issue is that he is not Greek. Um, he proposes anyway. They, uh, Naya says yes. Tula, Tula says yes. And Ian decides he's going to convert to Greek Orthodox, which I don't know enough about religion. Why is it Greek Orthodox? Why isn't it just Orthodox? Like, is there Italian Orthodox? Is there like German Orthodox? Um, they're not sure. Stuff like that. It's like a lot of European stuff, like Macedonian Orthodox. There's like, there is different like Orthodoxes. Italians just like Catholic, the Roman Catholic, <laughs> just what it is. But like, um, there are like like you know different nationalities that have like Orthodox, which is just like I don't know enough about it either. But I think it's just a term just to like you know, separate themselves. This is, this is Greek Orthodox. This is like, you know, not just, you know, not just your run of the mill Orthodox. (laughs) (laughs) So I I gotta see, I need a Venn diagram of the differences in the different Orthodoxes. That sounds awful. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I don't know. I mean, they, they are like, and actually have a buddy of mine who's, he's very Greek. And his sister married a guy who is not Greek. He's actually Italian. And he had to do the same thing, get, like, baptized in a little kiddie pool, like, how in the movie. And, oh, yeah, that's, like, a real thing. Like, they weren't going to get married. They can't get married unless they are actually baptized into the church. That's not even a joke. So do you have to give up your religion to get baptized into another religion? I don't know. Maybe. I, 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 I think you. I always thought you did, but now I kind of feel like it might be like uh, like your nationality. Like you can have Canadian citizenship and still be an American citizen, or dual, dual citizenship for religion. I could see that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like it, it's weird because like they they like recognize that as like you're Greek now. Like literally, they would say, like when I was with my buddy, like his family for the wedding, to be like, oh, he's Greek now. I'm like. You just dumped him in a kitty. Like, what does that even mean? Like, like it's no, no, he's water. in the church. Yeah, but like, church is like very important. I don't know. Like, to, to that culture, it's you know, whatever. It's like, cool. I'm, I'm Greek Orthodox and Jewish. Oh, what's that? So I'm Greek Orthodox and Jewish. Yeah, yeah that one might not fly. <laughs> I don't know. So. He gets baptized, and, and at this point, they're going to start doing the wedding. Now, this is another another small pet peeve I have. The movie, titled My Big Fat Greek Wedding, he doesn't actually propose until 45 minutes into the movie. So almost uh, roughly halfway through the movie before we even have the mention of a wedding, which, uh, I mean, I'd like the entire movie to be about the namesake, please, if that's possible. Can we get a remake that's only about the wedding? What? Are you that upset about that? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, oh, okay. I, I, I do think it's kind of funny, though, because I, I did expect more of the movie to be about how her family kind of takes over the planning of the wedding, which they do. And that kind of, you know, finishes out the movie with them obnoxiously planning every instinct of this. I did note that there's a, like a hundred different bridesmaids, which I thought was great. Because God, God forbid you offend anybody. You got to have every cousin and, and sister, brother in the oh, wedding. Yeah. Everywhere. It doesn't matter where in the world they are. They're yeah. We have to invite them. You have to make room for them. So. <laughs> and then again, that's that's really it. That's the major conflict. Is the family is is kind of leery about him because he's not Greek. He proposes. He converts. The family obnoxiously plans the wedding, and they get married. They had this like heartwarming final scene where. The father gives a speech at the wedding saying how amazing he is. And I, and I even wrote, like it's like you said, the aunt says at the wedding that he looks Greek now, which I thought was hilarious. Like, that not, not that we like him, he's Greek. Yeah. He looks Greek now, yeah. That, and it's, I don't know, it's cute, like when the father, like during that time of the speech, he's like, you know, here we have apple and orange. You know what I mean? Like, because like, he like makes the, the relation with the words, like, oh, this comes from the Greek word, whatever. This comes from the Greek word, you know, this. So he's like, you know, Miller comes from the Greek word Milos, total stretch. He's like, that means apple. And then, you know what I mean? Like, and then Portocalos comes from whatever is orange. So I, I think that's funny. My family does shit like that all the time. Like, oh, they actually come from the Italian root of this. Which, <laughs> you know, no, they, they don't. Do they really? Yeah. Oh, for sure. My, especially like the older people are like, oh, that's Italian. That came from like ancient whatever. I'm like, you just totally made that up. But it's cool. But it's cute. But it's like in the end when he's like, what's that? But it's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Yeah, 
So, you know, it's just like, you know, here we have like, you know, apple and orange, but the end we're all fruit. Like, it's just, it's just a funny thing. It's just like, you know, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Like, and it's not like it's like this big realization, but like, it is just something stupid and simple like that. It's kind of a heart, you know, feel good ending. I'm just like, hey man, like it doesn't, you know, everyone can get along, everyone can whatever, as long as you're good people. And I think it's like a fun thing to live, not fun, but like it's a good thing to live behind or live in whatever with that in mind. Just like it really yeah, doesn't matter as long Philosophy. Wow, holy shit. Why couldn't I think of that word? <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing to do inside of, like, yeah, whatever. So I, yeah, I, I do I, love the fact that he uses. Like apples and oranges, which are usually used to to show two opposite things. Like it's like comparing apples and oranges, but he uses yeah. it to show how similar they are. Yes, and that's, I guess, a great depiction of because they are so different. You know what I mean? Like those families, like were nowhere close to each other. So it, it's kind of funny. But oh no, I I really I don't know. What did you think of the movie? I love it's like I said, it's my favorite movie. I've watched it eighteen hundred. Hundred so, times I could probably recite it to you without watching. I, I can't. I can't tell you what I thought of it yet. We'll we'll get there in one second. There's a couple other things I want to touch on. Um, I do like that he they they buy them a house for their newlywed gift, and it's the house like right next door to them. So, which I thought that was something my family would totally do. Yes. Like we support you, but you're gonna move right next door so we can watch. Yeah. <laughs> but you're never going to leave us until you die. <laughs> <laughs> The tagline for the movie is love is here to stay. So is her family. Uh, the movie is, is surprisingly rated PG uh, for sensuality and language, which, I, yeah, not much of either. It'd be very simple PG rating. Um, and then the only other things I wanted to touch on before we move on is the movie's nominated for tons of awards, including best original screenplay, best writer, best actress, outstanding performance, but only ends up winning the People's Choice Award for Favorite Comedy Motion Picture. It does, however, stay in theaters for 52 weeks, which is 11 weeks longer than Titanic, which is insane. Unfortunately, after leaving theaters, Playtone and the cast of the film end up suing the studio for Hollywood accounting. So this is a big thing in Hollywood. And, and actually, we're seeing it right now play out with uh, Scarlett Johansson suing Disney. Um, what's part of a lot of these actors and actresses' contracts are based on the performance of the movie. So if you can think of it like a, like a sports um, player, I'm going to get so much as a flat fee for being in the movie. And then I'm going to get bonuses depending on how the movie does and how the ticket sales go and how long it stays in theaters and so on and so on and so on. Well, right. unfortunately... You're essentially trusting the studio to report those numbers to you and tell you, okay, we did this well, this way, therefore you earn this much. And Hollywood is notorious for doing what's called Hollywood accounting, where in ads, the studio says, oh my God, my big fat Greek wedding, you know, is a number one movie and made hundreds of millions of dollars, but officially to the actresses and actors they say oh well the movie actually lost money once you factor in you know having to pay for this and that and the other thing and before you know it there's a lawsuit and you know that's that's unfortunately what happens from time to time crazy i didn't realize that i feel like yeah. there's not much to like dispute though with this movie like the budget was literally like <laughs> nothing like it didn't cost them anything it was like, oh we're the money just uh disappeared <laughs> it was just a joke <laughs> i don't know what happened for- yeah. yeah, they, they like to play advertising because advertising is usually not included in the budget. It's, it's something that they do after the fact. They might have like a, like a baseline, but typically advertising will go over, especially for a movie that's been in theaters for 52 weeks. That's going to be additional advertising they didn't plan on. So they love to like hide some of the profit into the advertising numbers. Um, but ultimately, it, the movie does really well. It goes on to do a one season long sitcom TV show in 2003 called My Big Fat Greek Life. And then in 2016, it gets a sequel called My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2, um, which Horrible. budget, yeah, it, it's not a very good movie. It gets very bad reviews, but that budget was $18 million. It goes on to gross 90 So My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2, per the numbers, is successful. It, it, it more than doubles its budget, but it doesn't come anywhere near the original, and therefore there is no third one. Uh, in fact, we haven't really seen much from any of these actors since then. Sounds about right. So, yeah, I mean, like everyone fell off the face of the earth after that movie. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think that could also have been a product of the big Hollywood shift. I mean, going more towards the blockbusters, 
a lot of the actors in this movie really you know made a name for themselves being in the indie flicks and uh you know once those go away there's going to be not a lot of work going around sounds about accurate Unfortunately. And like I said before, like I mean it's not like there's like movies like this coming out. <laughs> That's kind of true. Level. Unfortunately. Um so without further ado, we're gonna play a little question a little game I like to call the three question game. So this is really simple. Me and a crack team of my associates, you know, we put on our, our science lab coats and drank tons of Red Bull and came up with three questions that we think kind of apply to all movies. And it's going to help us determine whether or not this is a good movie. OK, so as it pertains to 2002's independent romantic comedy film, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, uh, question number one, what is the message of the film and do you agree with it? Oh, yeah, I think it's. Kind of like what we touched on before is, is that, um, you know, there's sometimes there's like these things, I guess, that um, they're set in your, like, your life, like these thoughts that, you know, things have to be a certain way, that you have to marry a Greek guy, that you have to do whatever. But in the end, it really doesn't matter as long as you're happy. And I think there's that is one, the main, a big theme. And then I think just the family, like the family aspect of it, like I think having those people close to you that drive you crazy um, that are ridiculous, that embarrass you, whatever. Like, but at the end of the day, I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like, I, my family's like insane. I think she says that at some point too. You know what I mean? Like, where everyone's insane, they drive her crazy. It's just like constant work. But it's like I couldn't imagine my life any differently than how it is. You know what I mean? With those people and stuff like that, and I think surrounded, surrounding yourself with good people, no matter how crazy or how ridiculous it might be at times, is is worth it. So yes, I do agree with the message. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, like I said, everybody's got family they're embarrassed by, but it's always it's always nice having a house full of people. It's always nice having all the noise and all the love and 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 there's nothing better than getting around the table and just telling old stories with family too. I mean, we do that all what? the time. And it's a great time. Everybody's laughing and joking. And you start remembering this stuff that you're like, oh my God, I forgot all about that. I forgot when he did that or when she said yeah. that or and nothing think- better. That's like even like storytelling like that too. Like it's so important that that's how like tradition gets passed on, and that's how you like get to know like when I, me sitting around the table like tables as a kid, listening to these stories, I'm like wow. Like that's how you like get to know like your relatives without really knowing them. You're like oh my right. god, they used to do this, they used to do that. They what? Like you could never see them. Like oh yeah, it used to be like this. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's kind of a cool like insight and like the people you're close to that you might not know, especially as like a young kid. Like it's it's cool being exposed to that. And if you weren't Surrounded by all those people, you would never know. You know what I mean? Right. So hey, what do you mean, Uncle Steve had a drug problem? That's crazy. <laughs> he crashed a what? He used to have a horse? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> all right. So question number two. How did the movie leave you feeling? And do you think it was intentional? It's great. Like, it's, uh, it's like a feel good. It's feeling like, you know, it's like heartwarming. And, you know, these people end up having like a great life together. And it's definitely intentional. I would think that you're supposed to feel good at the end of this movie. If you don't, you're evil. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> How dare they live happily ever uh, after? They should have, you know, beheaded him. Like at the wedding, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, like, uh, yeah, so I definitely think it was intentional. Um, and I think it's great. And that's, like I said, one of the reasons why I liked it, where you didn't have to, you know, go crazy thinking about it. Um, and it was just makes you feel good. And that's about the end of it, which is... Sometimes all I want out of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty basic, and that's that's all it's meant to to do is to make you feel good. Um, yeah. And then the last the last question: What is the most important sequence in the movie? Most important sequence isn't like series of events or like what do you mean? Like what what is the scene or scenes that is the most important in the movie? Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready for that. Um, <laughs> the most important. I mean, I think. Probably um, when she, like, so Tula, like, at one point, like, just basically says, like, I love him, like, I'm going to marry him, and, like, kind of, like, puts, like, a, like, kind of, like, stands up to, like, this, like, her parents' thoughts and stuff like that, kind of, like, becomes her own person at that point. That's, like, 
before she was like waitress working at their restaurant and just like existing in their world. And I think at that point she's like, no, this is my life. And even though we're not doing exactly the same, like I'm going to have a good life and you guys have to accept me for it. And they're like, oh wow, you know, we do just want you to be happy. So that's, you're right. And it's just kind of like this cool, you know, flip flop. And cause I've seen situations like that, you know, in my family. So for me, it's like, you know, you're like, oh wow. Like sometimes you just need to cut the cord kind of thing. And then your family loves you. Like they should accept you. Should. <laughs> I, think I think it's really like, you know, pivotal point in the movie. Yeah. I, I mean, I think in a movie titled My Big Fat Greek Wedding, I would think the most important sequence is going to be his proposal. But being as that comes 45 minutes into the movie, I, I'm going to say that it's it probably... <laughs> it's It's got to be her original run-in with him, you know, because that's going to spur her going back to college. That's going to spur her, you know, bettering herself. And like we talked about, the movie needs a catalyst. And uh, that that's the catalyst. So for me, it's got to be that that first scene. Maybe the scene itself isn't very pivotal, but yeah. what it sets up is yeah. is so huge. I can see that. Yeah. So so that's it. First off, a huge uh, kind of thing for me. I just realized you're my final guest for season two. We switch up the questions every season. That is the last time I'll be asking those three questions. It'll be three brand new questions for season three. Very excited. Uh, so stay tuned for that if you guys are interested in seeing what those questions are next season. But uh, but that's it. So on, on a scale of one to ten, one being horrible, ten being a masterpiece, what do you rate this movie? Uh, what do I rate this movie? Um, I think, I mean, I think it's a solid eight solely because I can relate to it. I don't think it's a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I'm, you know, realist, <laughs> but uh, I really enjoy it. Like, you know, like I said, this is, it's my favorite movie. Is it the best movie ever created? Hell no. Um, but is it quality for what it is? I think so. So I'm going to leave it at an eight. What do you think? I, I will give it a solid six. I think it's a I think it's a good movie. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, I could use a little bit more of a conflict, a little bit more of a plot. Um, like you said, this is this is kind of an end of an era of of these sort of indie films that don't really have a huge uh, plot or or issue to get over. Um, but with that being said, it's it's a true love story. It's it's a feel good movie about family. I mean, how could you not like it? Yeah. Um, I will say that I could understand why the sequel didn't do good. I could understand why this story can't continue. Yeah. I, I'm it, this is totally lightning in a bottle though. For it, for it to do this well, it must have just been that one of those things where it was like, you know, this is what people need it at this specific time, and you you can't really replicate that. Yes, and I think that's exactly what it's because if you ever seen like the the movie My Life in Ruins. Um, the other movie that the main actress did, um, it's horrible. It's like kind of just stretching on like the same exact thing, you know, like this born like lifestyle, whatever. Um, and then the second movie, My Big Factory Wedding 2, was just like, just doomed from the beginning. Like everyone just, the reason why it did 90 million is because people were like, oh my God, the first one was great, but like, I know this one's going to suck, but I just have to go see it anyways. Like that's like, everyone I talked to said that. And that's what it is. It's horrible. Like this was a great one, you know, one and done. But, um, yeah, I could add this. So, from perspective, what can, do you, have you ever rated a movie a 10? And if so, what, what Ooh, was it? Great question. Um, I don't, I don't think I've ever given a movie a 10. I, I can tell you that of all the movies that I've covered, as of right now, my number one movie is Birdman. Um, and I, and I say as of right now, because we are going to do a new top 10, uh, in between season two and season three with all the new movies that we've covered. But for me, what, what makes a good movie is it's objective. I mean, I, I could, I could list off everything that makes a good movie for me, but one of the things that I find the most interesting about doing this podcast is when I have people come on the show and you're not the first person. In fact, you're probably not even the 10th person to tell me this movie's bad, but it's one of my favorites or, or I know this movie isn't good, but I love it. 
And I yeah. think that's so funny because when you ask somebody what their favorite movie is, nine times out of ten, I'm going to get some you know blockbuster hit. They're going to rattle off like, oh, it's got to be The Godfather. It's got to be you know uh, I don't know 1917 or something like that. But I think what the truth is is so many people have these secret indie films or B films or or movies that didn't do very well that wind up being their favorites just because it it just it connects with them in some certain way. Yes, and that's what. I mean, I love about, I don't know, any, lots of different art forms like music, cinema, whatever. It's just like, it makes you feel a certain way and you, has, you can connect to it and it just gives you something to, I don't know, feel like emotions. I, don't, I think it's just an important thing to have a connection with anything. And if it's music, if it's art, if it's, you know, cinema, if it's whatever, I think like it's good to have those that kind of spark the things in your life, like, like how you were saying before, like this movie might have just been something people needed during that time, like something just to distract you from whatever, you know, in that moment, like, wow, that's like the catalyst that changed for me. It was like, you know, maybe I can just like chill for a second and just like not stress out about what, you know, what my family wants me to do or whatever. You know, I, I, who, who knows? But like, I think those are important things that, you know, whatever connects you to some sort of feeling is good. Yeah, very, very well said. Very well said. Um, in fact, let's let's use that as an opportunity to go on to our next segment called Guess That Tomato. So Guess That Tomato is where I challenge my guests to correctly identify the audience rating for your movie of choice on Rotten Tomatoes. Are you familiar with Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, I am. I always forget. Is the rating like the more tomatoes, the worse it is, or the higher the rating, the worse it? Right. Great, great question. So, Rotten Tomatoes has two scores. They have an audience score and they have a a critic score. It's zero to a hundred. A hundred being like a test score. Hundred being perfect. Zero being horrible. So, what I'm asking you to do is to identify the audience score for 2002, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Um, you're gonna give me a guess. I'm gonna give you some hints, and then we're gonna see if you want to change your guess. So am I guessing right now? Go ahead. Zero to 100. 82. 82. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the critic score, which the critic score for this movie is a 76. I'm also going to give you three movies that fall within a plus or minus 2% of this movie. So these should be very similarly scored movies. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, movie number one, Kong Skull Island. The star-studded cast, check. Great CGI, check. Entertaining plot, check. Having to explain to your children why Loki and Captain America are on an island hunting Curious George, priceless. Movie number two, Ghostbusters. The 2016's all-female Ghostbusters reboot that showed a shitty script, bad acting, and a boring cameo can somehow take a backseat to gender-bending leading roles. Okay. And then movie number three, which I just had to add purely because of the the movie and, and the synopsis, Zombie Beavers. The the title the title combines the word zombie and beavers, so it's actually called Zombievers, which I thought was pretty clever. And it's a movie from 2014 which grossed eight thousand dollars and included Bill Burr in the cast. And here's just a line from the synopsis. College friends find their weekend of sex and debauchery ruined when deadly zombie beavers swarm their riverside cabin. I mean, if that's not worth watching, I don't know what is. I, I'm, I, I'm not at a loss for words. <laughs> <laughs> so all three of those movies are within 2% of my big fat Greek wedding, which you gave an 82, I believe. Okay, so... <laughs> Would you like um, to change your game? This is for audience rating, not audience critic rating. rating. Correct. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, so it's got to be like a, I don't know, 42, 43 will go. Like what? Like, those don't sound good. <laughs> so you're going with 43? Yeah, 23? <laughs> <laughs> the correct audience score for 2002, My Big Fat Greek Wedding is... Seventy-three. Seventy-three. Zombie Beavers is a seventy-one. It's a seventy-one on Rotten Tomatoes. Are you kidding me? 
I, I, I thought you, those were all secret. like going like downhill. Wow, cool. So I guess my first guess would have been much closer. I think you need to rent Zombievers right now and see what the hell the yeah, hubbub is. I have, you know what I'm doing the rest of my night tonight, I guess. <laughs> That's so, crazy. so one last thing before we before we sign off, I guess. Well, not not the last thing, but one of the last things is, uh, it's a firm believer of the owners that don't forget a towel that everybody geeks out on something. While it may not be movies and comic books, maybe it's planning a wedding and switching religions. So I got to ask you, Joey, what is it you are currently geeking out on right now? Oh, um, well, I oh god, there's a couple things, I guess. Um, so I, as we've talked about before as well, like I. Started doing like a catering business slash pop up thing with pizzas. So p- dough has been a constant obsession of mine for years, and it's just re sparked the past year and a half. So, so when I've you been- say when you say dough, I, I'm not familiar with the terminology. Are we talking different than like like breads or like bagels or, or like what kind of dough? What's the definition I'm using? Pizza dough. Um, so specifically pizza dough yeah so i mean like anything any sort of dough like that um pizza or bread and there's like so much more to it than just like flour water and yeast it's like extremely in-depth and it's like almost like science like you know depends on what kind of flour you want to use depends on what kind of yeast you want to use how long you want to let it proof for do you want to use it you know do cold fermentation warm fermentation do you want to let it proof like all in one ball. Do you want to like separate into small balls? Do you want to like all these little tiny variables, like difference in like stupid little things, like all these little nuances can change it completely. So um, it's like an obsession, I would say, because I like constantly tweaking it. I'm never what, satisfied. What got you into this? Um, happen chance. <laughs> um, so years ago, uh, what four or five years ago now, I opened up a pizzeria. Um, and Has it really it been that was, long? Holy cow. It's been a while. So, I mean, it just kind of happened. Um, I was looking to open a restaurant. I always loved, like, food. Um, it's a family thing, hence why this movie is home with me. Um, so, basically, you know, I was looking to open up a restaurant, and I went to look at a space, and it ha- didn't happen to be the right one. Um, so then my uncle was like, hey, man, like, there's a pizzeria for sale. Why don't you, like, check it out? And he used to own a pizzeria years ago. And he said that, you know, he could help teach me how to make pizza. I've never made pizza before. Um, so then we started this process of buying this pizzeria after seeing it and, you know, spur of the moment. We're like, yeah, sure. Why? Why not? Let's buy a pizzeria. I called my buddy up. I'm like, hey, man, you want to buy a pizzeria? And he's like, mm, sure. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so we started this. And then from there sparked this crazy adventure of, like, we spent, you know, months working on a dough recipe. And that's when I really started like diving into it. I'm like, wow, there's so much more than I ever thought there was to do. And then it's just kind of been a continuous thing. And then recently, uh, this past year, uh, over quarantine, we had nothing to do. And my cousin bought a small little pizza oven and restarted making dough. And then I really started diving like even deeper into it. And now I'm in this crazy gluten wormhole. <laughs> Sounds like an awful place to be, but I'm sure it's delicious. Listen, I, I've had your the, the pizza from the pizzeria. It was amazing. Uh, a huge supporter of pretty much everything that you've ever allowed me to taste, including your wine, which is phenomenal. Um, so, I mean, this is this is a great segue. I don't want to cut off your your dough uh, mantra, um, but why don't, why don't you tell the folks where can they get more of you? Um... So, I mean, we uh, we have an Instagram page. Uh, it's Fuoco, period. Okay, so it's F-U-O-C-O, period, E, period, F-A-R-I-N-A. Fuoco, F-A-R-I-N-A. Why don't we make it easy? There'll be a link in the description below. Go ahead and click on that and make sure you follow. All right, cool. So basically, yeah, so we have a page, Instagram page. It's called Fuoco and Farina, which means... Um, fire and flour in Italian. So that's kind of what we try to do. Everything is related to dough, generally, like how we just spoke about. Like, and we're getting into making. Uh, I'm not getting into like we've. I've made homemade pastas like forever. That's a big thing I've done. But we're incorporating that into the business. Um, so if you you know want to figure out where you can get our food or how you can have us 
make food for you, that's a great place to do it. Or if you just like looking at food, we do that as well. So <laughs> that That's awesome. Definitely go and, check them out. I mean, the, the, like I said, the food that you've made before has just been phenomenal. Some of the experiences that you've told me you've had with, you know, showing that you've done like kids parties, you've done work events, done team building exercises, right? All that stuff. Yeah. And it's kind of spurts off in different directions. Like I was saying before, you know, if one of the first things I did was um, teach a pasta class. So I had another passion of mine involving dough. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and then everything like that is just, um, I don't know, it relates back to good people, good experiences, um, and sharing, like, you know, good times together. And for me, a lot of that revolves around food. So I really enjoy sharing that with other people. And, um, you know, you can't be sad with a full stomach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who can't relate to that? Well, Joey, thank you so much for being my guest. I really appreciate it. Great pick. Uh, anything you want to say before we sign off? Um, no, this is great, Bob. I'd like to do this again if you'll have me. Absolutely. Um, I have a, a, you know, it's a movie with a better plot, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I look forward to having you back on in season three. Thank you so much. Um, and again, everybody check Joey out on Instagram, follow him and make sure that, uh, you keep an eye out. He's going to be doing some big things soon. I'm sure. Uh, thanks again, Joey. Appreciate it. got gutsy media podcast leave a message about any movies you've covered and maybe we'll add to the show thanks the mailbox is full and cannot accept any messages at this time goodbye